love will never give, never give up. Even when the going gets, going gets tough. There's no valley that you won't walk through. Cause love will never give up on you. Love will never give up on you. Love is a lion. Love is a lamb. Cause he was and he is and forever I am. He hears your cry and he will prove that love will never give up on you. Love will never give up on you. Love will never give, never give up. Even when the going gets, going gets tough. There's no valley that he won't walk through. Cause love will never give up on you. Love will never give up on you. Love will never, will never give up. Even when the going gets, going gets tough. There's no valley that he won't walk through.
Good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church. Take your song handouts. Page number 12, Living by Faith. Page number 12, Living by Faith. I care not today what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know will lift for everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, We should all be convicted of our hypocrisy this morning as we sing this song, Living by Faith, especially when we got to that place where it says, and all of my worry is vain. I don't know if we really believe that or not. It seems like we do believe it, but we just have a hard time putting it into practice when we go through troubled times in life. But you know what? We need to just do what the song says. I care not today what tomorrow may bring because... You know, as the cliche says, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we know who holds it. Amen. And so let's sing this song, Living by Faith, on the second verse. Welcome to the service. Though tempest may blow and the storm clouds arise, obscuring the brightness of light, I'm never... The Master looks on at the Page number 70, Holy, Holy, Holy. 
forget here this morning, I wanted to uh, make an announcement that I made this past Wednesday, but I know that uh, many of you that needed to hear this weren't uh, in that service, and so wanted to remind you that if you are a parent uh, of a Master Club uh, student or student kid person, if you are a parent of a Master Club or teen uh, youth group individual, uh, we have this uh, Realm app that the church is part of. Now, you can use this for online giving. It's a secure way to uh, give your tithes and missions and building fund offerings. But even more than that, it's a good means for us to communicate different announcements to people. And so we have a master club group, and we also have the option of having a youth group uh, group on this uh, application. So if you do not have the Realm app, We encourage you to get that, if for nothing else, just for communication purposes. And so if you're not signed up for that, see Sister Christina Lemons. Hold your hand up higher, higher, a little bit higher than that so everybody can see. All right, see Christina, and she'll get you signed up for that app. And uh, I know that uh, I use it um, uh, on a regular basis, and I found it very user-friendly and easy, even if you are not young. And if you have a smartphone, you can get that app, and it really, really works well. And so um, be sure and get signed up for that. Other than that, I wanted to remind you that Wednesday at 7, Bible study, also our youth group, also master clubs will be meeting. And then uh, Saturday at noon, street ministry. And then Saturday at 7 p.m., ladies' prayer meeting here at the church. And 8 p.m. is the men's prayer meeting here at the church. Now, in light of next Saturday's prayer meeting... Uh, providing that they get in town in time, and uh, this next Sunday uh, we've got evangelist Mark Rogers and his family, and uh, if they get in town in time, then we'll have Brother Rogers speaking to the men and Sister Liz speaking to the ladies during the prayer meeting, and then uh, we'll have the Sunday morning service at 11. And a lot of times when we have special speakers, we'll add the Sunday evening service, even with COVID going on, but we're not going to do that this time. We're just going to have Sunday morning because 
The following week, we've got evangelist Tim Green for uh, a three-day, four, actually four-day meeting, Sunday through Wednesday, and uh, the Sunday morning service will be at 11, obviously, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday will be at 7 o'clock. So please be praying about that. I, I really feel like that these meetings are of the Lord. And then in addition to that, we'll be having Tom and Chris Gear that will be, I guess the best way I know to describe it, they're going to be hanging out with us for a few weeks and helping us with our children's ministry. And I talked to Brother Tom yesterday, and uh, he understands that our children's ministries are just kind of, we're keeping afloat. We're not necessarily charging forward at this time. And uh, I feel like that uh, I wanted to honor that commitment to him. We've had to reschedule that meeting a number of times, and back when I confirmed it, the COVID situation was starting to die down, and after I nailed down that meeting, it just started spiking back up. And so we're obviously not running on all eight cylinders, but they are a blessing, and uh, they don't just come with a canned program. They'll be able to adjust to what we've got going on, and I believe we'll be able to glean some help from them. So do be praying about... Uh, all of those meetings, as well as all of these uh, men of God that will be coming our way, uh, that our hearts will be open, and that God will give us just exactly what we need. I think that got all of my announcements out of the way. Let's go ahead and stand, and let's sing our last hymn on the back of the hymnal, Oh, I Want to See Him. I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary, to the crimson flow. Many arrows pierce my soul from without within, but my Lord leads me on, through Him I must win. Oh, I want to see Him look upon His But my Lord goes ahead, leads whatever be time. Oh, I want to see Him look upon His face, there to sing forever of His saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Tears all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. When in valleys, oh, I look toward the mountain high. Guiding me, I can see as I onward go. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. There's a past home at last ever to rejoice. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep. My Lord directs my bark, He does safely keep, and He leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me, and I love Him. 
upon his face. There to sing forever of the saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, and the to rejoice. All right, you may be seated. All right, a large passenger plane is on its way across the Atlantic. It flies consistently at 35,000 feet altitude. Suddenly, an F-22 Raptor appears. The pilot of the fighter jet slows down, flies alongside the Airbus, and greets the pilot passenger plane by radio. Airbus flight, a boring flight, isn't it? Take care and have a look here. He rolls his jet on its back, accelerates, breaks through the sound barrier, rises rapidly to a dizzying height, only to swoop down almost to sea level in a breathtaking dive. He loops back next to the plane and asks, well, how was that? The air pilot, uh, airplane pilot answers, very impressive, but now have a look here. The jet pilot watches the plane, but nothing happens. It continues to fly stubbornly straight with the same speed. After five minutes, the plane pilot radioed, Well, are you going to show me something? What did you do? The other pilot laughs and says, Well, I got up, stretched my legs, went to the back of the flight to the bathroom, got a cup of coffee and a cinnamon roll. (laughs) I guess a lot of it's perspective, amen? Noah opens up the ark and lets the animals out, announcing to them all to follow God's command and go forth and be fruitful and multiply. He's about to close the great doors of the ark when he notices that there are two snakes sitting in a dark corner, not making a move to leave. So he says to them, didn't you hear me? You can go now, go forth and multiply. The snakes reply, the command doesn't apply to us. Noah shakes his head and says, why? Because, they said, we're adders. (laughs) I like that stuff. Man suffers a heart attack while shopping in a store. The store manager calls 911 when they saw him collapse to the floor. The paramedics rushed the man to the nearest hospital where he had emergency open-heart bypass surgery. He awakened from the surgery to find himself in the care of nuns at the Catholic hospital. A nun was seated next to his bed holding a clipboard, a pen, and a collection form. She asked him how he was going to pay for his treatment. She asked, do you have health insurance? He replied in a weak, raspy voice, no health insurance. The nun asked, do you have money in the bank? He replied, no money in the bank. The irritated nun continued, do you have a relative who could help you with the payments? He replied, I only have a spinster sister and she is a nun. The nun became agitated and announced, nuns are not spinsters, nuns are married to God. The patient replied, perfect, send the bill to my (laughs) brother-in-law. All right, 2 Samuel chapter number 22 2 Samuel chapter number 22, I was uh, telling my wife this morning while we were getting ready for church how amazing 
that the Holy Spirit is and how He gives direction when our heart is in touch and in tune with Him. And, you know, let me say this, that when you go through rough times, sometimes if we respond correctly, that is a time when our hearts can be more in touch with the Holy Spirit than when everything is going perfectly. And this past week, as I've been praying and and asking God to give me guidance and direction for today's message, it's interesting how that as of last night during prayer meeting time, I had, I I really, it was 50-50. I had two separate messages, both on my heart, and I felt like both of them were the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so I, you know, I prayed last night, God, you're going to have to lead me and guide me. And so I woke up this morning and nothing really was changed. It was still 50-50. So logically, I'm trying to figure out how do I discern what you want, the Lord? And so I figured, well, I tell you what, I guess I'll just stick with the first message you put upon my heart. And so I started studying that first message. I had a text in mind that was already on my heart, and I hadn't really studied out the surrounding verses around that text. And you know, it's just amazing how as I started studying out that first message and and literally thinking there's no way that these two concepts are tied together, as I started studying out, I thought, wow, there it is. Those concepts are completely tied together. And, And as a preacher, I didn't have to stretch the connection, if you know what I mean. Sometimes preachers, if you've ever preached, you know that sometimes we do that. I mean, it was just totally there, and I just thought, wow, Lord... Uh, you're amazing, and uh, I, I will say this, the Holy Spirit is, um, is worth following, amen? Second Samuel chapter number 22 and verse number 32, David says here, For who is God, save the Lord? And who is a rock, save our God? God is my strength and power, and He maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds' feet, and setteth me upon the high places. Of course, hinds being like a deer or a wild roe. Verse 35, he teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great." That's what I want to preach about on the concept we just read, and I want to talk to you about the power of gentleness. David here is bringing this song of deliverance. You can also find a a record of it in Psalm 18, and he made a statement that appears nowhere else in the Scripture, an amazing statement that I will not pretend to know everything about what David is saying. But he said about the Lord, he said, thy gentleness hath made me great. He didn't say my gentleness has made me great. He said, God, your gentleness made me great. Obviously, folks, there is great power in gentleness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the message today. We pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us. We pray that you would uh, speak to hearts and help me to deliver this message with clarity. Lord, I pray that my words, my spirit, my tone, I pray that everything would be directed from above. We pray for the anointing of the power of God. 
Lord, we're not trying to accomplish anything that would bring man glory today. We're here to, to feed the sheep and, Lord, to help people. And, Lord, may the Holy Spirit bring conviction and instruction and encouragement, whatever's needed today. Lord, only you can meet that need, and we ask you that you would. If anyone's here today without Christ and lost, we pray that you would use the message today to draw them to a saving knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. King David wrote this song to the Lord at the peak of his kingdom. You know, it's interesting how that two weeks in a row, without any uh, idea what the Lord was doing, that the Lord has directed us to songs that are written. Last week, we talked about when you lose faith, and our text was out of the Song of Moses. And uh, here, David is singing a song of deliverance to the Lord. And notice what Second Samuel 22, verse number 1 says. It says, David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. I find it interesting that David separated the situation with Saul from all of the enemies that he had to battle. You know, David was an enemy to Saul, but Saul was never an enemy to David. David had a faith and a trust in God. He never tried to defend himself or to take care of his life by his own means. He said, I will not stretch forth my hand upon the Lord's anointed. Saul, during that time, had become, sadly, a very wicked king, a very selfish king. Almost to the point, I mean, he had such an evil spirit that one would think that he has lost his mind. He's insane. He is possessed with something. And the Bible certainly says that an evil spirit from the Lord was troubling Saul. But David never counted Saul as his enemy. He fled from him. He requited Saul good for evil. David was an amazing man, a man after God's own heart. But David said that the Lord, he teaches my hands to war. In Exodus 15, verse number 1, another song of Moses, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. And spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea, or speaking of Pharaoh. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. And then verse number three must certainly fly in the face of this modern feel-good uh, Christianity and all of the preachers who are building empires and self-esteem messages today, Moses said, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Christianity today has been effeminized. It has been neutered. The masculinity and the leadership, and listen, I realize that there are some Bible-believing Christians that have a form of masculinity that comes more from testosterone than it comes from the Holy Ghost. I recognize that. 
I've been there before. There's a lot of masculinity that's just simply flesh. But the majority of modern Christianity today has been feminized through the feminist movement. And we need to remember that our God is a man of war. According to encyclopedia.com, through history, tactics have been in a constant state of change influenced by technology and leadership. Speaking of war here, strategies in war. They go on to say, innovations in technology have had great impact throughout the ages. For example, the stirrup on a horse allowed the mounted armored knight to dominate the battlefield for years. Gunpowder and the invention of reliable shoulder-fired weapons in turn afforded significant tactical advantage to the dismounted soldier, enabling infantry to replace the armored horsemen as the dominant force. Refinements such as rifled muskets, light field artillery, change tactics. Later, technological innovations such as machine guns, rapid-firing artillery, tanks, airplanes, submarines, aircraft carriers, and we could go on and on, drones and uh, smart bombs and all of these different things have caused tactics in warfare to continue to evolve. King David was a man that was accustomed to war and battle. He was good at it. And yet he knew that his skills came from the Lord. He was confident, but never cocky. He was good at war, but he never enjoyed war. He was a gentle shepherd at heart. I'd like to remind us all today, as we reminded the men and ladies in prayer meeting last Saturday, not yesterday, but the week before, that we are all in a war. I want to give you three quick verses that remind us that we, as God's people, are in war. First Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Second Corinthians 10, verse number 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Obviously, we are in a spiritual war. It is not your strength. It's certainly not your physical strength for this war that does any good. It's For that matter, it's not your mental or your emotional strength. That strength comes from God. And there is a spirit world, and all of our character and talents and abilities are of absolutely no value. I mean, I mean, the best of men alive today going into spiritual warfare is like going against someone with one of these armored tanks that we talked about and going after them with a Nerf gun. It's just preposterous. It's ridiculous. And how often, brothers and sisters, do we approach this spiritual warfare in the power of our own flesh? David understood that God was a man of war. God under, David understood that we are in a warfare. 
The Apostle Paul furthermore said in Ephesians 6 and verse number 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Hey, are you having problems with people today? Are you having problems that just like, where did this problem come from? Out of the blue. And it just doesn't seem to make sense. And we we end up treating that person like we're at odds or at conflict with an individual or individuals. But the reality of it is, is behind all that, if we look at it and we feel one way, but rationally it doesn't make sense, then take it to the bank. The devil's behind the details. The devil has you in a half Nelson. He's got you in a wrestling move. He's got you pinned and he's just hoping that you're going to tap out. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The only way that we can deal with the spiritual warfare and the devil's deception is we have to operate, we have to traffic in truth and not in feelings. I've never seen in my lifetime a day when people are weaker emotionally than today. Men's hearts failing them for fear. I've never seen more people today that because of their emotions and because of the uh, inability, I, I won't even say refusal, but I'll say the inability to rule over their spirit, I've never seen people so much more vulnerable with a city with walls broken down, just like Solomon warned us of, people who cannot rule their spirit, but rather they allow their spirit to rule them. We've been trained by Hollywood and romance novels that we're supposed to follow our heart. Listen, the heart is the worst thing that you can follow. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You better lead your heart, not let your heart lead you. We lead our heart by committing our thoughts and our works to the Lord and we get in the Word of God and when we have a feeling and we have a thought that we know goes contrary to the Word of God, we consciously in our will say, I'm going to ignore that feeling and I'm going by the truth. Amen? Never seen a time in my life where people were more interested in following their feelings rather than the principles of God's Word. Why? Because Satan has a stronghold. Satan with his tactics in this warfare He has done an excellent job. And I'm not just talking about America and the White House and Pelosi and all of this. I'm talking about the church. According to Wikipedia, the five basic military strategies are as follows. Extermination. I'm not talking about exterminating pets. You know, when you hire the exterminator to come get rid of the pests and rodents, you know that... In many ways, a lot of those pests and rodents are not killed, but rather they create an environment, they destroy the habitat or the environment, and they make the pest want to leave. How about exhaustion? And and listen, this is Wikipedia. This isn't I didn't make this up to fit my message or to fit the scripture. 
It's all there. Exhaustion. Does not the Bible say that when the Antichrist shows up, the mystery of iniquity, that he will wear out the saints of the Most High? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know that I'd see a large majority today if I said, listen, brother and sister, do you just feel wore out today? Do you just feel tired and you just feel like you can't get any spiritual energy? You know why? Because we're in a warfare and the devil has been doing a good job of wearing out the saints. The third one listed is annihilation. Annihilation is reducing to nothing. Taking away the fighters, if you will. You know, there are different personalities of men of God and ministries. There are some ministries that are very good at fighting for the cause. There are others that are more nurturing in their ministry. Everybody has their strength and their weakness. Have you noticed today, though? And listen, I guarantee you that David and his men of war, David David was, in, in my opinion and estimation, David was a gentleman. But if you ever saw David in battle, you would notice that there was blood and guts flying. It was the real deal. And I guarantee you that it wasn't a bunch of niceness and sweetness. It was life or death. And I guarantee you, God's men, or David's mighty men of valor, I guarantee you that they were men's men. They were rough. Rough around the edges. Have you noticed how in our generation today that the men who are fighters have been torn down and every weakness and fault and failure about them has been exposed? And oh, listen, the nice sweetheart type of preachers and ministries, they have all kinds of faults and failures according to the whole counsel of God. But nobody really pays any attention to them because they're nice and they're sweet and they're smooth. And we put up with their faults and their failures. Somebody that makes me feel good, they can correct the Word of God six times in a message and I'll put up with it. But if a man who truly believes this book and never corrects the Word of God and stands for it says something that's just a little bit rough, a little bit maybe impalatable, oh wow, I can't believe that he said it that way, we just write him off. You know why? Because the devil wants to get rid of the fighters. The next military strategy is intimidation. Fear. Put fear in the heart of enemies. Just as we talked about last week, when you lose faith, God's people have lost faith. We think that God doesn't hear, He doesn't care. We're afraid of what's going to happen. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I look at the world that we're living in, and it's just gone crazy, amen? It's totally insane. And, and I have to rationally look at what's, what's it going to be like for our children and our grandchildren? I don't know what kind of world that they're coming into. But you know what? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Listen, it's never been a utopia. 
I, I never will forget what Brother Donald Grant said while I was at his dinner table when we visited here for the first time. We're sitting, we're talking about things, and I said, well, Brother Donald, things ain't like they used to be. He said they never were. Yesterday wasn't, listen, last generation wasn't perfect. There was all kinds of problems. There's always been problems. And yeah, I think that we've got some problems that are unprecedented in our nation and certainly in our lifetime, but that doesn't mean that we have to go around with a spirit of fear. We need to recognize that God's power has not changed, amen? God has given us all the tools and resources that we need to live a godly life. Hey, will our witness be as effective today as it was yesterday? Probably not. Are people's hearts harder than they were yesterday? Absolutely. Anyone with half a brain can see that. Is it more difficult in many ways today to make a difference? Absolutely, because people don't think right. They've been programmed by our culture and by the, by higher education and by Hollywood and they've been programmed to think a certain way. And when you approach them from God's way of thinking, they just look at like you're speaking some kind of foreign language. Yeah, the deck stacked against us. All kinds of things are negative, but we don't have to have the spirit of fear. That's what the devil wants to get God's people to be intimidated thinking that we cannot win. And then the last one listed is subversion. What's subversion? Attack the foundation. You know, we see the attack of our foundation in our nation going on today. I mean, the very, what founded our nation, freedom and liberty, Govern yourself, not let the government take care of you, but govern yourself, make your own choices. Now we've got mandates, we've got all kinds of things that are, you know, justified, rationally speaking, but they're all chipping away at the foundation of our country. Our history is being changed into something that it wasn't and being taught in the schools. The foundation is being removed, and when there's no foundation, then our nation will continue to become something totally different than what it was supposed to be. We're seeing that. But I submit this morning, and we don't even realize it or recognize it, that what we're frustrated about happening in our nation happened in the church years ago. They started taking away the foundation. New versions that say different things. Well, that's your truth, and this is my truth. I like what this version says. And we created an atmosphere where we're here to judge what is truth rather than saying, God gave me a perfect Bible, now I just have to, I just have to live by it. Like one preacher once said, the Bible doesn't need to be rewritten, it needs to be reread. Subversion, intimidation, annihilation, exhaustion. It's all happened in the church, and we're fussing and complaining over it happening in our country. 
It wouldn't be happening in our country if it hadn't have happened in, our, in our, the churches 30, 40, 50 years ago. If you Google military strategy, strategy, that's easy for me to say, military strategies, you find several different opinions regarding the most effective military strategies of all time. I'll give you the top three that are listed. The first one is divide and conquer. We know what divide and conquer is. It's division. Division. A lot is said in our culture today about unity, unity, unity. There has never been more division than there is today. The root of division is departure. Now you're going to have to maybe think about that. The root of division is departure. Somebody left the group. Today's mainstream Christianity was a departure from fundamental faith and standards of yesterday. Church history makes that crystal clear. Initially, those who departed thought of themselves as cutting edge, something new, something unique. But as they began to dominate the avenues of Christian media, things such as radio, television, publications, Christian bookstores, as the departed, the cutting edge began to dominate, they became the mainstream at least in perception. And the ones who stayed put, guess what they are today? They're the cause of division. You know how many times I've heard of this and seen this, where you have a fundamental solid church that's standing on this book, has the right standards, has the right music, and old, many of the Many of the the people in the church have grown old with that pastor and the pastor eventually retires or goes to heaven and they bring in a younger pastor. And that younger pastor comes in and starts leading that church in a better direction and starts changing the standards and the music. And, And listen, probably... I don't know the percentage, but almost every case that I know about, that new young pastor never came in when being interviewed by the pulpit committee, never stood before that flock and said, look, if you elect me as your pastor, if I become the pastor of this church, this is the direction I'm leading us. They don't do that. They act as if they're just like you are, and then... I mean, days or weeks after they are the pastor, they start implementing these little changes here and there, and here and there. And the old saints of God who don't like it, and they shouldn't like it, they begin to grumble a little bit. They begin to say, Pastor, can I talk to you? Can I meet with you? And eventually, they become the pariah of the congregation, the sowers of discord, the causes of division. Because they stayed put, and they didn't depart with the new group. 
For all the talk of unity, I wish that there was some sincerity in that desire for unity. The ones who start compromising, they want unity and they say, come on and compromise with us. If they were sincere and they really wanted unity, they would say, you know what, I don't see anything wrong with this, but for the sake of unity, I'm going to stay put and stand for what they stood for yesterday. When's the last time you heard of anybody thinking that way? You know why that is? Because the devil is in the details. And it's spiritual, and it's insane, and it makes no sense because it's a spiritual warfare. Divide and conquer has been a great strategy that Satan has used in the church. The next one that is very effective is classic misdirection. That's a deception. Deceive the enemy with an obvious approach that will take a very long time while surprising him by taking a shortcut and sneaking up on him. Another interpretation is to distract the enemy with an obvious attempt at deception in order to conceal yet another ploy from their attention. Listen, you know what's happened the last year and a half with COVID? Not only in our churches, but in our nation, it's been a satanic distraction, a deception, a misdirection. Everybody's thinking, listen, I'm not saying that health and safety is not important. Obviously it is, that's common sense. But we're not supposed to live our life revolved around a virus, we're supposed to live a life that's revolved around Jesus Christ. And Satan's just got us all tied up in knots with misdirection. You know, you got churches that, you got people that are disgruntled and fussing and feuding over how different people see the virus and how we ought to do. I mean, you've got the ones over here that are trusting God and in denial, and then you got over these over here that are preaching the gospel of vaccination. These over here say you're evil and you don't care about people because you're not vaccinated. These over here are saying, well, you don't trust God and you, you know, you're, you're being a sucker and believing what they tell you. I, listen, none of us really know the exact details. So once again, let me say this. Do what you feel is best for you and leave everybody else alone. I don't know if I hit a nerve there or what, but you know, Satan is just using it. The next effective method of um, strategy in history of war is concentration of forces. Concentration of forces. That's exploiting weaknesses. Now, let me say this, and this is, this is really one of the messages or what was on my heart that is connected with warfare. And, and by the way, this gentleness concept, it's here. I'll get, I'm getting to it. I haven't, I haven't even gotten past the introduction yet, but, but we'll get there. Exploiting weakness. The scripture identifies man's greatest area of weakness in spiritual warfare. Now, you might as well buckle your seatbelt because I'm getting ready to go completely cross-cultural. And if you have been inundated with 
Hollywood and modern thinking and so forth, I'm just going to tell you right up front, you're probably not going to like what I'm getting ready to say. But what I'm getting ready to say is scriptural. And you're going to have to choose whether you believe how you feel or what people are going to think of you or if you're going to believe the inerrant Word of God. What is our weakness? What is man's weakness in spiritual warfare? Well, let's go back to the beginning, all right? In the beginning, Genesis 3, verse number 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know what God said? God said between the serpent, Satan, the devil, he said, I'm going to put enmity between you and women. Now, ladies, you need to pay close attention to what God says. Now, the feminist movement will cause you to resent what God says. And listen, no one is saying that any gender is superior to the other. Just throw that notion out. Men, as we talk about what the Scripture says about ladies, I want to just challenge you that that does not mean that you are superior in any way, shape, or form. It means that men are different than women, and God has defined roles and responsibilities along gender lines. The Apostle Peter understood it in 1 Peter 3, verse number 7. He said, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Peter says here that we need to give honor to our wife, the the ladies, because they are the weaker vessel. Once again, I remind you ladies, I remind you men, a weaker vessel does not mean inferior does not mean either are superior. It does not mean equality. It means that there is a difference. Both have inherent strengths and weaknesses. Listen, I thank God for the strengths of ladies. Ladies by gender trait are way better nurturers than men. Now that may not be the case with every man and every woman, but along gender lines, it listen, if you put... A, a, a boy and a girl in an isolated environment that is not influenced by our culture, I guarantee you, almost 100% of the time, you're going to find that the girls are more nurturing than the boys, and the boys are whatever. <laughs> the boys are, I don't know, puppy dog tails or something like that. I don't know. Greasy, grimy gopher guts. I don't know. Boys are they're different things, right? But the, the girls are going to be more nurturing. They're going to be more emotional. Doesn't mean that they're less intelligent. It just means that they're going to be a little bit more in touch with feelings than men. 
Men will be a little more rational by gender trait, but can also be more insensitive by gender trait. Once again, strengths and weaknesses, pros and cons. God made us different. And to deny this truth is to, and, and to say that, hey, we're all equal. You know what we're doing? We're taking and we are opening ourselves up to spiritual warfare and Satan's strategy because there is enmity between the devil and women. He's going to attack you ladies. I mean, he would rather attack you ladies than to attack five men. Because if he can get to one lady, he'll probably end up getting to ten men. First Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 9, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Key word is adorned there. It's not saying you can't wear a little jewelry or fix your hair up. You know what adorning is. When you see a lady, you should be able to say, hey, that is a godly lady. You're not drawing attention to gold and silver, and you're not all made up so that you say, hey, look at me, how beautiful and gorgeous I am. A lady's appearance should draw attention to their spirit and their virtue. And their spirit and their virtue should be godly. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now watch verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Hey, listen, we're in a warfare, and we need to recognize the fact that as men, we need to give honor, we need to do everything we can to protect our ladies because Satan has it out for them. Men have abdicated their authority and responsibility. They've just said, nah, I'm not, I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to have authority. Let, let my wife take care of that. Let her be the boss. Let her have all of the pressure. Let her pay all of the bills. Women in today's culture are dealing with pressures and stresses that God never intended for them to have. And it wears, wears them out and weighs down on them when men need to step up and say, hey, I'm taking care of this. I got this. It, it may sound old-fashioned. It may sound caveman. But it's like, hey, I got this. Would you go fix me some supper? I, I, I know this is not popular. People go, oh, I can't believe you're saying that. Hey, how many years ago would that have been, people have been going, Amen, preacher! Tell it like it is. But now we're like, oh, can't believe you're saying that. It's the Word of God, brothers and sisters. I mean, good grief, the devil's whooping us. The devil's whooping us because there's this, I mean, the 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 the, the rank and file, the the, the lines are open. Nobody's holding the line. 
and the devil's winning and we won't look at the word of God and say, hey, here's where we need to fix the problem. Let me tell you something. Until we get this area in order, we can we can pray 23 hours a day and read our Bible. We can fast, but until we fix the real problem, then the rest of it's not going to do any good. Satan has it out for ladies. Ladies, you need to accept that. And realize the fact that, hey, the devil's out from me. I need to start letting my husband lead. I need to start letting his insensitive, rational thinking dictate what I'm doing. And I need to just focus on being a lady rather than bearing all of these pressures in life. You're looking at a man that my tendency is to be over-passive. Sometimes people think, oh, you're, you're very patient. Sometimes I'm not patient. Sometimes I'm just passive. And there's times where I need to get actively involved and I need to do something about it. At the same token, ladies, you're nurturers. You care. You get emotionally involved. And you know what? I find from observation that ladies feel the pressure and the responsibility for the outcome of a thing. You know, ladies, you need to learn how to just do the right thing and not feel like that you are responsible for the outcome. God ultimately is responsible for the outcome. Your husband will take care of things and just shut off your emotion and just follow and be a Christian lady and not let all of the pressures of life influence your spirit so that you open yourself up to Satan's attack. Men have relinquished their responsibility, and women have redefined their roles in today's culture, and Satan is winning. We can talk about it, rationalize it, resist it, but until we get in our places, we will continue to lose ground. Well, that's my introduction. The power of gentleness. That's almost funny, isn't it? The power of gentleness. Number one, gentleness will make you great. Once again, 2 Samuel 22, verse 36. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. You know, David listed some pretty impressive stuff here in this chapter. He said that he ran through a troop. I mean, he ran through the enemy. Can you imagine that? Just, I mean, there's the enemy all around, and he just runs right through the middle of them. He says he leaped over a wall. I've noticed my leaping abilities aren't what they used to be. Not that they were ever very much. But I've even noticed, I don't even step down from things as good as I used to. (laughs) David said, by my God, I've leaped over a wall. He said, by my God, I have broken a bow of steel. I mean, a steel rod. He didn't just bend it like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He broke it with the skill that God taught him. doesn't mean that he had 
biceps that were bulging, and he doesn't mean that he was ripped. It meant that he knew how to use leverage in war. He, uh, we would call someone like that a martial art uh, person, <laughs> a people, <laughs> a fighter. That's <laughs> not very eloquent at all. But that's some pretty impressive stuff. But he said it's the Lord's gentleness that did all of this. Wouldn't you agree with me that we value the wrong things today? As far as ministry and influence and people that we're going to follow, we value charisma, excitement, entertainment, popularity. Anyone that makes us feel good must be good. You know what we are? We're just a bunch of foolish children when... God doesn't need foolish children. He needs wise warriors. David was a wise warrior. What is gentleness? Gentleness is softness of manners, mildness of temper, sweetness of disposition, meekness, kindness, benevolence, tenderness, mild treatment. In short, it's showing care and respect for others in the way that you act or speak. Hey, aren't you glad that God doesn't treat you the way you treat others? Wait. Wait just a minute. Maybe he does. If you're still open to 2 Samuel 22, you can look at it with me or you can read it on the screen. In verse 26, David said in the same passage, With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful, and with the upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward thou wilt show thyself unsavory. Be careful how you treat people, because God's watching. And the demeanor that you, if you're impatient with people, God's going to be impatient with you. If you're harsh and quick to judge, God's going to be harsh and quick to judge with you. Gentleness, God's gentleness will make you great. Number two, gentleness is Christ-like. 2 Corinthians 10, verse number 1, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. Meekness is not weakness. You know, Paul had the speech and the knowledge and the ability. I I don't think that Paul was ever physically a a, a physical presence or threat. I, I think that Paul was not intimidating in physical appearance, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't be intimidating. He had a spirit. Have you ever been around somebody that could just intimidate you that easily, and yet you knew if push came to shove, you could probably whoop them with one hand tied behind your back? They, they just have, they have a spirit about him. Paul had that mental confidence. He had that knowledge that I mean, he could say just the right thing to put you back on your heels. And I guarantee you that Paul had the ability that he could uh, intimidate you into submission or at least outward conformance. But it wouldn't have lasted. There are a lot of preachers that are that way, strong personality, strong will, and they will intimidate their people 
into outward conformance, but it never lasts. You know what we need today, folks, in this warfare? We need the real thing. We've dressed up people in military uniforms and put them in battle, but too often they're not real. We've replaced preachers for, with performers. Listen, great leaders don't push. They inspire. They don't demand fellowship. They command it. They don't expect respect. They just simply live respectful. In short, they're gentlemen. In 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, Paul said, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but our, also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Verse 10, Ye are witnesses in God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Hey, there is great power in gentleness, in just behaving in a gentle, godly manner. Listen, it doesn't work fast like intimidation does. It doesn't work quickly like charisma, but it works eventually, and it works in a lasting manner. Paul here is a grown-up dealing with grown-ups. But his demeanor toward them is that of a nursing mother. His love and care is not merely practical. I hate to say it, it's also emotional. Listen, a, a nursing mother has a feeling of love, a tenderness. It, it is her love for that child. It's affected more than just the practicality of they need nourishment, so I'm providing nourishment. No, there's a cherishing there. There's an emotional attachment. The people in the church here were not numbers in Paul's kingdom. They were children in his bosom. They weren't there for him. He was there for them. If we could only get more of this mentality among God's people today. Gentleness is Christ-like. And my last point, number three, gentleness keeps us out of God's way. Oh, I shudder to think how many times that I've been a stumbling block and in my intention to try to do God's work, I've actually gotten in God's way. Second Timothy 2 verse 23 says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strive. You know how much of church today and Christianity is about fussing and feuding over doctrinal things that are, are not even at the top of the list of significance? I mean, people, you know, trying to be a guru and create a following because they discovered some new doctrine that nobody else has found. And then they end up throwing darts at each other and going on Facebook and posting things and the whole thing just ends up being a bunch of nonsense. Instead of what, you know what, if you're truly, this is the sad thing. A lot of, a lot of people in ministry today, I wonder if they've ever spent a day in the real trenches. Because I don't know about you, when you're in the trench, and the bullets are flying, and there's blood and guts everywhere, 
You want somebody on your side that's helping fire at the enemy. You don't care if his armpits stink. You don't care if he's got bad breath. You don't care if he's your type of a guy. He's my comrade. We need to focus on the fight rather than fighting amongst each other. Uh, listen, I, your uniform isn't just right. Get out of my trench. You realize how ridiculous that is? And you know that that same kind of stuff is so common among Christianity today? I'm not saying compromise. I'm just saying get in the fight. There's things worth fighting over. There's things that aren't worth fighting over. The servant of the Lord, verse 24, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Too many mighty men and women today are POWs. They're prisoners of war. They've been taken captive by Satan at his will. They need recovered. They need delivered. They need God to grant them repentance. And God is the only one that can grant repentance. Listen, you can succumb to my will and what I want you to do, but if your heart is unchanged, you're just outwardly conforming, you're still imprisoned. You just got transferred to a different ward. The scenery's changed, but nothing else has. What people need today is to be told the truth in gentleness and patience, and then just get out of God's way. Turn them over to God. Not an easy thing. But it's what we need to do because we can't strive. Listen, our stress isn't going to help anybody. Tell them the truth. Be patient. And then get out of God's way because only He can give repentance. You can strive with people until your will prevails. You can lower the bar or move the line to make it easier. You can manipulate the results, but in the end, nothing has really changed, and inside, you'll still be stressed, worried, insecure, and battling anxiety. Folks, there is great power in gentleness. So I conclude with this. I remind you, we're in a warfare. In this warfare, do right. Live right. Do right. Don't think that you have to change everybody around you. Focus on what you can do and what you can change, and that is live a godly, holy life. Let God develop that gentleness and that meekness. I would to God that earlier in my ministry that I would have recognized this truth. Not only do right, but tell the truth. Don't compromise. Tell the truth. You can, in gentleness, you can tell people things that they don't want to hear and what they need to hear, but you don't have to do it with animosity. You don't have to add your personality. Just 
tell the truth and speak it in love. You might get accused of not being loving, but if you know in your heart of hearts that you're just telling them the truth, you're being accountable to God, don't compromise, keep telling the truth. And then when it's all said and done, just let God be God. I realize that it seems that He's so distant and so far away and so silent today, but He is still God. And He will not intervene if we keep getting in His way. Let's get out of His way and let God be God. Our text in 2 Samuel 22, verse 36, Thou hast given me the shield of Thy salvation, and Thy gentleness hath made me great. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we recognize that in this spiritual warfare, there are so many losses around us, so much ground that Satan has taken over, so many strongholds that he has in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, we have done the best that we know how today to honor your word Lord, to speak Bible truth in love. Some of the things that I've said today have been very direct, very cross-cultural, not popular. But Lord, we see it clearly and plainly in the Scripture. By the grace of God, we're going to stick with your word. Lord, we're going to try to do right. We're going to tell the truth. And then with your help, get out of the way and stay out of the way. God, we thank you for your gentleness. Uh, Lord, I confess publicly, Lord, you have been so good to this preacher. You have been so kind. All of the things that I have done and my wanderings and my foolishness, Thank you, God, for putting up with me. I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to be kind and gracious with one another, recognizing that we're all sinners. And the person that offends us today will be offending someone else tomorrow. So help us, Lord, to allow your gentleness to make us great. I pray, Father, for every husband, myself including today, that you'd help us to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. I pray for every lady today that they would be willing to stay in their place and humble submission and meekness and as the weaker vessel, not inferior, but not usurping the authority of the man, trusting the man and may the men be trustworthy. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The altar is open if you'd like to come forward here and talk to God. You are invited to do so. If not at the altar, I certainly hope and pray that you will do business with God where you're seated.
I, I just can't, can't help but feel that God wouldn't put this message on my heart today if many people didn't need it. Some unpopular truths, but oh my, some needed truths. Will we heed or will we rebel? Will we take ground away from Satan or will we continue to relinquish ground to him? Praise the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Appreciate you being here today. Trust that the Lord has spoke to your heart. I'm going to ask Brother Glenn Coppinger, if he would, to close us in prayer. And when he's finished praying, then you are dismissed. God bless you.